So, alright, bro, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get off and, um, and Murad, thank you for, um, for staying up at two o'clock in the morning over where you are, man, to jump on the show with me. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Murad needs little introduction these days, but I'm gonna give him one, and we're not gonna call him Jimmy Song because apparently I was gonna call him Jimmy Song by accident. Um, Murad is a, Murad's a Murad's an early Bitcoin proponent, so he's an avid researcher and he's one of the more popular long-form writers um, in the Bitcoin verse, um, and also obviously on Twitter. Um, some of his charts, you know, some people say that they actually dictate the price of Bitcoin, um, but you know, looking at them from a long-term perspective, they're one of the more spot-on analysis of of Bitcoin, and particularly that I've seen. Um, I've been a big fan of his work for a while now, um, especially what I look at as his pragmatic approach to Bitcoin's long-term life cycle and the logical viewpoints on what some people might call, you know, extreme viewpoints, um, i.e. Bitcoin becoming a global financial settlement network or Bitcoin going to, you know, $1 million or $10 million a coin. So we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about a whole lot of stuff today. Um, this might last one hour, two hours, three hours, God knows. So we've chosen to do audio so that way people can download and just listen to it when they're driving um, as opposed to looking at us too for no reason. Um, so yeah, man, Murad, welcome, dude. Hey, thanks for having me, Alex. Uh, big pleasure to be here. Um, been looking forward to this particular podcast episode for a while. Um, huge fan of a lot of your writing as well some of the charts you've drawn in particular um i have sent to a bunch of people to a bunch of groups and communities uh i agree with like 95 percent of what you've been saying so far pretty wholeheartedly so yeah really excited to have this conversation man cool man well look in in the spirit of um you know getting getting a bit of background you know people have heard me you know talk about my shit a little while um you know particularly if they're listening to um my podcast here so Maybe, maybe just for people that don't know you yet, let's um, let's dig into just a little bit on your background. You know, people have probably heard the you know Pomps podcast with you, but um, if you can just give us the the two minute brief of your background, again, how you quickly got into Bitcoin, um, and then what you're working on now before we kick into everything. Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm originally from Azerbaijan. For those who don't know where that is like many of my Western friends, that's a post-Soviet country. It's yeah. between Turkey and Russia, physically. Um, so essentially grew up there, went to a bunch of American schools for like middle school, primary school, um, high school, etc. Um, went to USA to study at university. Um, I did a uh, semester abroad while there and that was during the previous bubble like uh, end of 2013 early 2014 I was in China yep. which was uh, how I got into Bitcoin in the first place a lot of the people who were uh, like internationals there with me some of my friends uh, because a lot of the Chinese exchanges back then still still didn't have a lot of uh, liquidity nor infrastructure um, some of my friends were essentially bringing Bitcoin from abroad and selling them at a small premium to the Chinese. Yeah. And um, that's how I sort of got in. Um, it was an exciting time. Um, when I came back to America, sort of some of my more sort of uh, technical and engineer friends 
they uh, sort of kept sort of being in the in the industry and um, one of my roommates sort of was relatively early to Ethereum, sort of it was even earlier to Bitcoin itself. And so I kind of uh, kept up with the space. Um, as many of us did, sort of took a small pause 2015, um, but 2016 sort of uh, got back in and every year since then got sort of more and more involved. Um, Sucks. Worked on Wall Street. Yeah, worked on Wall Street for a little bit and now just been doing more and more crypto stuff. Um, launching my own sort of crypto trading company in um, the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. So I'm um, quite excited about that. Cool, man. What did you, what, what were you doing over at Wall Street? Uh, analyst or? Yeah, I was uh, doing like interest rates and Forex trading. Okay, cool, cool, cool. As a trader or more as an analyst? Uh, as an analyst. Yeah, okay, cool, man. Um, what was it? So I always find it interesting because I think a lot of us, I mean, we ended up having this journey. We heard about the thing. We saw people get into it, you know, but you know, we ended up straying off doing something else. What was the, what was the kicker that got you back in? Like, what was the, that, that piece in 2016 that pushed you down the rabbit hole? I think what happens with a lot of people is that, well, we know that Bitcoin moves in cycles. And um, I think a lot of what happened to almost every single person that I know is they heard about it once, they didn't get in. They might have heard about it twice, they didn't get in. But if they, if, if they keep repeatedly with sort of year-long uh, breaks in between, keep seeing that this thing doesn't only die, but actually every, every time they hear, it's statistically likely that it's during a time where the price keeps climbing fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, start, you start realizing that there, there must be something here. And it's that combined with, uh, at least in my case and in some other people's case, some very intelligent people that you respect, they urge you to sort of take a deeper look. And you do and you realize that there's definitely something here. And so you kind of jump into the rabbit hole. And then, um, as I like to say, once you are in the Bitcoin rabbit hole, um, it's forever. Like, it it never stops. You don't get out. It's it's past the event horizon, man. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, Can you... Are you able to attribute it to a particular person that you think was um, someone where the where the penny dropped for you? Um, for me, it was so like I just like read a lot mm-hmm. and just like browse like inter- interesting stuff on the internet a lot. Yeah. And um, I believe that um, like I, I've been I, like I've been a trader for quite a while, like both professionally and like personally. And I believe that the most important thing you can do as a trader and as an investor is just read like as much as you can for like eight hours a day. And, um, I've always like separately been interested in like monetary econ Mm -hmm. and like, uh, uh, like libertarian Austrian stuff as well. Uh, just like history of central banking, all that stuff. And, um, once I read like article number seven, article number eight, article number nine on Bitcoin, uh, like it started clicking, you know, and, uh, like once you're there, it's just, you just stay there. It's so true. Like if I, um, if I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago and talking about what clicked for me and it was, I can attribute a, a big part of the sense that Bitcoin made to me, um, via, via actually Andreas. Um, and the reason, the reason is, so, I mean, 
I think a lot of us in this space, particularly the Bitcoiners, have an affinity or some sort of experience with the econ, the central banking, the, all, all of that stuff. I mean, I remember watching Zeitgeist by uh, with Peter Joseph when it first came out and going yep. down the bloody you know, journey as well. And I mean, yep. it, it's, it, it's funny how Bitcoin's just at the nexus of all of these disparate disciplines. And this is what I usually say to people when they ask me, it's like, well, what the hell are you interested in this thing for? And I said, I, I don't know how I could not. It's, it blends economics with biology, with, um, you know, game theory, with Austrian economics, with, you know, even concepts like Taleb's skin in the game. Like it, it just, it combines all of these things in one melting pot and it stretches your brain. Like in, you know, like you, um, I mean, this week I'll, I'll, I've been writing a big paper cause I've got a presentation to do next week. And the title of my presentation is, um, blockchain is dead, uh, long live lightning. And I'm going to be giving this at an investment summit where, the majority of the investment summit is um, being sponsored by blockchain companies. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably going to get shot. Um, but in the process of writing that I had so much stuff to come out and I touched on so many areas. Um, but that sort of breadth of information only comes from, like you said, reading and studying like a maniac and connecting all of these dots, which you would never think, are, um, are connected. Like w whenever I get up on stage and talk to people, I say the the best book that you know everyone should read, or one of the best books that everyone should read to understand Bitcoin is uh, that Yuval's book Sapiens, because it talks about how we've evolved as a species, and it hits on one of the central points being this idea of shared fictions. And then you start to understand why money exists in the first place, and then the extension of that, you start to understand why money should be something that it, well, money is foundational to our ability to operate as human beings in a society. And therefore the more foundational it is, the stronger, sturdier and more rigid it must be. Um, and then it starts like the concept of Bitcoin and how it's been designed and why it exists starts to make so much sense, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and the beauty is that like, it's probably the most interdisciplinary field that, uh, that I've ever like witnessed. And there's just like, I think like, I essentially like try to study these things like all day long for the past two years, uh, maybe longer. And I feel like if I dedicate my whole life to it, I probably won't even understand like 3% of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, not even, not even because of the technical difficulty, but just because there's just so much. And the beautiful thing is that there isn't a single person that knows all of it. Like maybe like Nick Zabo kind of comes close, but really maybe not even him because like you have, there's a lot of brilliant cryptographers and software engineers in the space, mm -hmm. but they just like don't get, they just don't get the monetary aspect. And then there's a lot of uh, like trading types and the finance types, but they don't have the technical skills at all. I mean, of course the technical skills are much more difficult, but still like what I'm saying is uh, there is a place for everybody. And, and no one, no one knows everything. And that's part of what makes it exciting. Absolutely, bro. No, perfectly put. Well, the next, the next piece. And I think as we go through this, where um, everything that we've just mentioned is going to start to make sense as people realize how broad this topic actually is. But um, I want to, I want to dive into your article, the one that you wrote with, um, with Adam, the, the many faces of Bitcoin. So 
And I know you've probably been asked this a million times, you know, for when people sort of interview you, but where they've asked you to explain what, you know, explain a little bit about that article, you know, touch on the four theories and sort of your viewpoint about which theory carries the most weight. So, you know, I mean, do you want to, do you want to give people a quick overview of when you guys were writing that, what was the driver behind it and, um, you know, what, what those four areas were? Yeah, totally. Um, so the four, like we, we, we kind of realized that there are many different factions in the space There's a lot of misinformation as well. So we kind of, to make it easier to some of our readers, we wanted to at least try to categorize some of these quote unquote teams. Mm-hmm. And, um, I would say that the four views are, well, the, the first of all, it's the kind of the, we call it the crypto Austrian view. Um, and it's kind of this idea that money, at least for the time being, cryptocurrencies need to prioritize the store of value functionality um, because like the, there exist, uh, A, disincentives to spend, two, people want their potential medium of exchange and day-to-day cash to be stable, they want it to be liquid, and none of these things are, and, and, and none of these things are going to come before um, cryptocurrency or before Bitcoin is like a multi-trillion dollar asset. And that in itself isn't going to come before people try to start using it at least as a semi-speculative savings vehicle. And savings vehicle is essentially the same thing as a store of value. So we need to, at least for the time being, optimize the base layer particularly as uh, to be a store of value. And we need to optimize security. We need to optimize credibility of monetary policy, things like that. And um, that's kind of like the, the main view. You know, Safety and Pierre Rochard, a bunch of others have been all the proponents of this view for many years. Um, the second view is more of like the uh, sort of like kind of the Bitcoin cash view where they, they are prioritizing the payment network aspect of the system and, and the medium of exchange, quote unquote, aspect of the system um as like as the dominant one i i don't even want to give it too much attention because i think like the people who are who are bullish on bitcoin cash in any way at all um in my opinion they just like don't understand monetary economics or the evolution of money or the origins of money at all and um they're essentially just either ignorant or outright scammers Absolutely. and so um yeah and so, like yeah sorry you guys it's just like yeah, it's just like, it's just, it's just totally ridiculous. Like, it, it just makes absolutely no sense. Like, I, I don't even know if we should even discuss it. No. But yeah, um, essentially, the idea is that they believe that it needs to be used in exchange in order for, for like, it to actually be useful. But they don't understand that this is like a multi-decade evolution. And it, it, it needs to evolve in these stages. And no one is going to use, like, for something to be even used as, as a medium of exchange, it needs to have value in the first place. And um, gold doesn't have value because of like the jewelry or even industrial uses. Gold has evolved to be money because it had the best stock flow ratio uh, among all the physical objects. And really it's that quote unquote monetary policy that that made it money, not the jewelry. Like I I, I actually- The time, it's the linear. Right. Exactly. Right, right. Community generationally, to 
view it as something that doesn't just fucking vanish or disappear, but if, you know, if they hold it, it's there still. So it, it totally generational thing. It's a combination of durability and low inflation, essentially. Yes. Yes. Dude, I, I want to, I actually want to dig into the, um, the store of value piece first quickly, because and we'll get onto the other, the final two, the Nash's equilibrium and the, um, and the other one in a second, but I, coming to the whole store of value piece, because I think people don't understand what store of value is. And sometimes I go insane trying to explain this to people is particularly and Bitcoin cashes drive me nuts here is they're like, Oh yeah, so much for your store of value. It's fallen from 20,000 to, you know, 3000. And it's like, that is not the definition of store of value. The definition of a store of value is that, when you in the way I try and explain it to them is if I bought one Bitcoin, I still have one Bitcoin that has not fucking changed. Um, and all that we're doing at the moment is we are discovering the way that we price it and the way that we price it is being discovered by hundreds of thousands or millions of people around the world. Most of which who don't fucking understand it. So yes, there is going to be volatility at the moment, but what's important is that when I hold a, an attribution of the network, so some component of the network is attributed to the private keys that I hold in some way, shape or form, the proportion that I hold is not going to be diluted. It's not going to be changed. It's not going to be confiscated. It's not going to be you know, inflated out. So therefore, it is storing its value in terms of its attribution or its percentage of the network. And that is the definition of store of value. And over time, as more people realize that, they then imbue it with further value and they trust holding more actual wealth on this network. And, and that's sort of the way I try to explain it. Uh, can you help a brother out here and you know, sort of either concur or tell me how you try and explain the definition of store of value, that it's not store of value is not related to, you know, the, the day-to-day speculative price of the asset as well. Totally. Um, well, one BTC equals one BTC. That's all that matters. (laughs) And at first glance, it sounds like an extremely superficial, meaningless like equation, but I actually admit it matters a lot. I agree with you totally. The volatility of Bitcoin is simply the world coming to grips about what this thing is and it's completely fine that it's early years and even early decades are driven more so by greed hype and speculation rather than uh usage per se i would even argue that uh speculation and mere mere hodling are use cases yes now um you know how they say that like a human lifetimes is nothing in the grand scheme of the universe it's kind of in relative terms it's kind of like a split second Yes. It's the same thing for it's the same thing for something that is aspiring to be both the global reserve currency and the global payment network. I mean, 10 years in terms of these grand technologies, 10 years is nothing. Absolutely. Now, of course, of course I believe that Bitcoin will conquer the world orders and orders of magnitude faster than gold did because it's naturally much more scalable faster and we live in a much more globalized world and naturally the internet and associated technologies are fundamentally exponential technologies yes. and um this information bitcoin is information like it, it can travel the world much faster and i believe that 
what I believe is going to happen is that we're going to go through these uh, more, like three or four more of these speculative cycles, but, but we are still on the left side of the big S-curve. Yes. And sooner or later, a time will come when, the, when these things become fully competitive against fiat money. Yep. And I believe they, they, are, they are superior to fiat money. Um, it, it, is a, it is a mathematical fact that they are. Uh, fiat and gold are already as good as they can ever be. But Bitcoin um, will keep improving constantly. It will keep getting better and faster and more efficient with all kinds of superior technologies and infrastructures being built on it, inside it, or around it. And um, both as a technology and as a money, it is superior. Um, what is going to happen is once it reaches that S-curve stage, um, it's really going to go exponential. And I genuinely believe that um, if fiat doesn't hyperinflate completely, then you will simply see this kind of zero-sum uh, rapid transfer of wealth, at least uh, the kind of wealth that is currently parked in monetary instruments and in any kinds of savings vehicles for that matter. It doesn't only include money. Uh, people think that fiat money and gold are the only two addressable markets here. No, uh, I believe that even 10 to 15% of real estate, 10 to 15% of stocks, uh, a chunk of some, some chunk of bonds, all of these uh, assets, uh, like you know, houses aren't only used to live in or to work in. They're used as, especially for high net worth individuals or hold investment holding companies. They're used as investments. They're used as a ways for rich people to uh, park, Park well, like exactly, <laughs> and and I just think that something that is as transferable and as liquid and as robust as Bitcoin can even be superior to, like, say, equities or certain like junk bonds or whatever. And so, um, I think it's going to clean up finan the financial industry. Uh, what I also my theory is that money as a proportion of the like all of asset classes, I think money will actually get fatter. And more, more money, more people, like money will be a bigger parts of people's portfolios. Um, and like when money is constantly inflating, then there are obviously, artificially I might add, there are of course disincentives to hold, hoard a lot of it. But when money is gonna be fixed supply, it's going to arguably be one of the, one of the best, if not the best source of value uh, in the world. And I think that the market cap of Bitcoin uh, in, the, in the far, far future is going to be bigger than the market caps of all fiat currencies currently combined. And, and this, this is where I agree with you. And this is where people start to say, oh, you know, you're a fucking sensationalist and all of that sort of stuff. But I think one of the points that you touched on there that I want to really drive home to people is one of the biggest reasons that we have um, so much uh, wealth in things outside of just money or cash is because um, holding your money in cash, as everybody says, is the worst place to put it because you're actually losing money over time. So the, the incentive or the system is designed for money to flow into other assets. And in that process, it drives them up in, uh, in, in perceived price, not value over time. And what, what you're saying and what I think people need to understand here is that 
when you no longer have to chase yield, because that's effectively what money is doing at the moment. It's just chasing yield. Capital just chases yield wherever the fuck it can, because totally. if it doesn't chase yield, it's if if it's not moving, it's going backwards. Um, and and, and the the central banks are essentially treating the uh, the citizens like uh, laboratory rats and constantly electrocuting them by printing more money so that they like have to do something in the short term, either consume or spend or invest or do something like that, as opposed to being able to save the fruits of their labor for in multi-decade terms and also engage in multi-decade projects. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you touched on another beautiful piece there is the, this concept of accumulation. Now, over time, people, people have, I mean, when people talk about, you know, hoarding money is bad or, or when they're talking about, you know, oh, hodlers, they're, they're against adoption. It drives me fucking insane because hodling or hoarding, you know, capital is another way of saying saving. When in, when in the fucking world did saving become a bad thing? When in the world did... It, it's have- crazy. It's crazy that some people in the world are actually shaming savers. Like saving yeah. is one of the most, like... It's one of the most virtuous things you can do. It's the basis of capitalism. This is what people don't understand. People think, you know, everyone's running around saying, oh, capitalism's fucked, blah, 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 blah. It's not capitalism fucked. It's, it's the Frankenstein version of capitalism that we have today, which is focused on spending. It's focused on the wrong side of the fucking equation. And we well, I like to say that, I like to say that, like, we, we don't live in capitalism because money is, like, controlled in like a communist manner or like an authoritarian manner essentially and uh like money is just such a big part of every transaction commerce business interest rates financial markets and like it's it's a half of all of those transactions and um it's crazy that some people in the world money is the most demanded good it's the most demanded product Uh, it's crazy that certain people and certain institutions have the ability to create it from thin air. It is absolutely preposterous if you think about it. And it's very vampiric because these people are doing it essentially at the expense of everybody else. This This didn't just come about randomly. This was carefully constructed by very, very intelligent people. And the Bitcoin is powerful because it makes the system obsolete. Um, I really like the I really like the the phrase. Don't try to like change the system from the inside or try to change it little by little. The way to truly bring about change is to create a product mm-hmm. that simply transcends. It makes the existing system completely obsolete. Yeah, uh, this is it, well, that's what the internet did to the fucking phone companies, right? Oh, definitely. And it's actually a big part, it's a big part of my presentation uh, during the week because it's going to be at this technology you know, conference, like I said, but a bunch of people that are blockchainers. And I'm just, the, the, what I'm telling them is that the internet transcended the phone company. The phone companies had their own biases that, and they controlled communication for the last hundred years. And they thought that they could you know, own the internet or they could dictate the way in which we were going to communicate. So then what happened was we had a simple, basic, foundational, robust set of infrastructure, which all it did was route packets of data through a mesh network 
that was extremely fucking hard to shut down. And guess what? Human beings built complexity and innovation on top of that. So when I try and explain uh, uh, Bitcoin as a network to people, I say Bitcoin is very similar to the internet, not the way people try and tell you, but in in its fundamental sense that the, the internet is a packet data packet routing service that's all it fucking is at its base level that operates on a set of rules in other words protocols bitcoin is a value routing network that doesn't fail because it's game theoretically sound so anybody that wants to perform one of three functions the function of send store receive which are the ingredients the basic building blocks of any financial transaction or any monetary related transaction in the world why would you not use a network that has that baked into it and has a guarantee of delivering that um, those functions? So what Bitcoin's done is it's transcended that because those functions today are predicated on us begging or asking some institution or some organization to perform them for us using archaic methods, which is let's send a fucking message between each other. It's It's... Yeah, anyway, I'm going to, I don't want to get on a tangent there, but it's, like you said, this transcends it because it reinvents money. And, and I think another, you know, highlight for people to take away while they're listening to this is when I look at Bitcoin, this is where the Bitcoin cashers really get it wrong, is Bitcoin is a monetary phenomenon first. It's not a payments technology. And this is one of the areas that makes me crazy is that payments technologies are trivial. There's tens, there's hundreds of them. It doesn't matter. A reinvention of the tool that human beings use in order to cooperate and build complexity in society, another word for that is money, that reinvention is not trivial. And that is where the opportunity is here. Um, I don't know totally. If you- um, I, yeah, I like to say that, like my friend, to him, like what Bitcoin is in like the most simple way possible. And I told him it's pieces of super gold flying inside an unstoppable PayPal. But I totally agree with you. It's the super gold that really matters here, not so much the PayPal. I mean, of course, they're both inextricably linked in Bitcoin. But to me, at least personally, the scarce 21 million side of it and the money, the store value side of it, the deflationary side of it, that's the real revolution, uh, even more so, uh, dare I say, than the uncensorable payments. <laughs> but look, it's, you can't have one without the other, right? No, of course. Of course you can't. Of course you can't. They are all interconnected. Yeah. But um, I think like I, I always think as an investor and uh, like from an investment point of view, it's I think I, I'm, I strongly think that. Look, like there's a bunch of forces that will attract people to uh, to have wealth flow into Bitcoin, but I think mostly it's going to be the scarcity. Well, yeah, well, I um, man, I didn't want to touch on scarcity now, but let's let's just touch it really quickly. Is um, I I was presenting at a meetup the other week, and you know I, I mentioned scarcity, and someone was like, "Well, why is why is scarcity so important? Isn't scarcity a bad thing?" I said, "No, no, no." I said, "Scarcity." is, and you tell me if you agree here, Murad, is scarcity is fundamental to a human being's notion of value. And the, the, the example that I 
said to people was, let's look at, let's think about something that you value in life. For example, your friends or your family. A big part of why you value your friends or family, has anyone ever heard of the saying, you've only got one brother or you've only got one family? The, the reason we value them so highly is because they're unique and uniqueness is a predicate or so uniqueness is related to this concept of scarcity. So the more unique something is, the more scarce it is, the more we inherently as human beings value it. Now, when we bring that across to units or objects that are fungible, the only real fungible unit that we know of is time. And that's why we as a society or as a collective value time so much. And when I, when I did the um, example to everyone, I said, you know, if, if we inherently value things that are scarce, the more scarce or the more we know with, uh, without any you know, doubt at all that something is scarce, the more we'll inherently value it. And then I asked people to put their hands up who would want more time and how much would you pay to get more time? And then I just said, well, Bitcoin is the only other unit that we know of that is fungible, that is also scarce other than time. Um, if you don't want to pay, if, if you don't want to pay anything for Bitcoin now and you want to pay something for time, there's something wrong with your logic. So I, I think scarcity is something that people just don't understand. And then when you apply scarcity to something as foundational as money, um, which again is the tool through which human beings are able to cooperate and measure labor, which is what we build our fucking world out of, then, um, then, then money's fucked. And, that, and that's where money is today. It's completely fucked. We can't measure it properly. Um, it's like the, the inches that through, you know, Alan Watts says a you know, beautiful thing in one of, his, um, one of his lectures. He said, you know, money is, is, a, is a measuring instrument. And, you know, he, he doesn't touch on any monetary policy stuff, but he uses the concept of if you're building a house um, and, you know, you've got wood there, you, you want to measure, you know, the timber or whatever you're using to build stuff in inches. Now we don't go and change the inches um, or change the measurement when we you know need to build something or if we don't have enough goods or if we don't have enough of the manufacturing material, um, we go and get more manufacturing material. So the inches need to stay fixed. And that's, it, it's, it's almost like the base rules cannot be changed in order for you to build a strong, um, in order for you to build on top of. If you have a shaky, uh, like quicksand type foundation, everything falls apart. And I've touched on about a hundred things there, but do you have anything to add with respect to scarcity particularly? Yeah, I mean, I like to think of things in a more sort of Austrian way in the sense that I never argue what's like what's good for society or what's good for the world. Mm -hmm. I look at everything through a lens of like a product and a consumer. And uh, Bitcoin is just like as a shelling point of money, it will result in a superior like it's in a superior savings vehicle uh, than uh, compared to one where a central bank can just print as much of it as it wants, period. And so people will gravitate to it uh, because they'll see that it offers stronger guarantees. That's it. I think it's a superior product and consumers will gravitate to it simply because of that reason. Okay, so, so that thesis then just comes back to credibility over time, credibility in monetary policy, right? 
Uh, yes. Yeah, and 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 trust being developed over time. And again, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on two last bits here in this section is the um, another thing which is a which is a positive for Bitcoin and I guess a, another delusion of the Bitcoin cashes is that credibility of monetary policy and the ability for people to trust Bitcoin as a scarce unit um, takes time. And like you said earlier, this is this is not a this is not a payments technology that we need to build out of a couple of years just so we can compete with PayPal. This is a monetary phenomenon which is going to take decades to develop because the trust in money or trust in a money takes generations to develop. And one of the issues that I've always had is, you know, what I call the the junkies of today's society who all they want to do is just have something built for them um, so they can, you know, their definition of adoption is how much I'm spending so that I can get my dopamine hit really quickly. It's, um, it's really funny. It's really funny you say that. Everybody asks me, like the new people I try to get into Bitcoin, they say, but where can I spend it? Like, that's not what Bitcoin is for. <laughs> what, can I buy, what can I buy with it? I'll tell you what, you can buy some of your fucking future. Just put it in your wallet and shut up. <laughs> It's crazy, man. Oh, man. So, yeah. So, I think that that's just another – it's just a complete paradigm shift. And this is where – I remember when the Bitcoin Cash thing was going on. And, like, in the early days, I didn't want to start any wars. But, fucking, I inevitably went down the war path with a bunch of them, particularly here in Brisbane. We have a few strong ones that um, are big fans of Roger Ver and all that sort of stuff. And they dri- it drives me insane because – again, not only do they not understand money, but their definition of adoption is the completely wrong definition for a money. Their definition might fit, again, a payments technology, but what they should be doing is then going and buying, you know, shares in PayPal, if that's what they want, um, if that's where where they assume the adoption comes from, or they should go just start a fucking payment startup. Um, But, you You know, you know, you know, what's true adoption? Every rich person having three percent of their wealth in, in, in Bitcoin. That is that's adult. Correct. Correct. Like Bitcoin Bitcoin going to seven trillion, ten trillion, that's that's adoption. Yes. Yes. Because then we've shown that this network is a place that people trust storing some of their wealth, which in other words makes it a store of value. It's um well and more importantly uh, at that size, it's going to be it's going to be better as a medium of exchange product. Correct. Because it's likely going to be more price stable. It's going to be more liquid. Uh, like lightning channels will probably be much fatter, have much more liquidity inside them. Yep. Uh, like every like all the infrastructure by that point, like once you can save it, uh, like it, it's like all the infrastructure around it will be much more mature as well. So. Uh, honestly, like right now, we want people. We want Bitcoin to be widely held. Yes, it's it's too early to be thinking about it being widely spent. Yes, what's important is people. Like you want half the world to be hodling it. That's what you want. Yes, 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 dude. This is you. you this is the area I think you and I most fervently agree on. Um, and, and in fact, I mean, th- this is why like. I, I don't know if you've had a look at you know the project that I'm working on is is called Amber and if you if you're familiar with um, Acorns in the US they take the yeah sp- yeah I've listened I've listened to you 
talk about it on a couple of podcasts. Yeah. So, man, my my whole thing when people ask me, oh, you know, oh, when are you going to build like merchant facilities and stuff? I'm like, that, that shit doesn't matter. For the next few years, my only mission with Amber is to have a million people be accumulating Bitcoin. That's it. Game, set, match. Don't need fucking anything. I don't even, right now. I don't even think like merchant stuff matters right now. It's it like doesn't, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's um, it's like this, this. This isn't this isn't PayPal. Like Bitcoin, at least right now, like Bitcoin is more like gold 2.0 than PayPal. Well, not even more, but it is. <laughs> it's it's got nothing right. to do with PayPal right now because that is not the function that we and and it's also like if we think about the war we can win. This this is sort of if we take another hat if we put another hat on, which is let's think strategically here as a community. If you know, let's think even let, let's. Let's take away all of the, the wars and all that sort of stuff and say, look, let's think about the crypto community as a whole. Which war or which battle can we win against, you know, the, the forces that we're apparently fighting against, which is, you know, the bankers, blah, 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 whatever, whatever people think they're fighting against, right? It's not the payments uh, battle that we can win because they're already beating us at that shit. You know, the PayPal already exists. WeChat already exists. Alipay already. There's a million payment technologies. That is a bloody Red Sea battle. The war we can win, or the battle that we can win, is an uncensorable, unconfiscatable, unmanipulatable uh, form of money. That's something well, totally can't win. Totally, and like, and like battles. Getting a getting a UX better than uh, like v WeChat or Venmo is just going to be difficult. That's A. Two, um, like the total addressable market for money is more than $100 trillion, yep. but the total addressable market for payments is like probably less than a trillion. So really, which one is the bigger revolution here? Absolutely. And last but not least, um, the base layer will probably not be used for payments. Like that's not really what it's for. The settlement layer. The base, the base layer is for extremely high value, high security demanding settlement transactions that you want to be essentially ironed into what's going to be the global source of truth. Yep. Couldn't agree more, man. The, the, the last thing I want to touch on here is the definition of cash, um, which is another area that the Bitcoin cashes run around. I mean, they've even chucked it in the damn name and they're always, always, always referring to the white paper and, you know, putting their little red boxes around the word cash and, you know, saying, Oh, look how many times they said cash in the white paper. Can you please give the listeners and everyone out there a better definition of cash? And then I'll see if I need to add any two cents to it. Hmm. So if I understand correctly, Historically, uh, cash simply meant the instrument of final settlement. Yep. And that aligns with, in my opinion, uh, our understanding of Bitcoin much, much more. Furthermore, uh, frankly, to me, I don't even care what's written in the white paper. Yep. Um, <laughs> I care about things that can actually work yep. and things that make sense from a uh, monetary and historic and technological point of view and things that are actually sustainable uh, yep. rather than uh, whatever, like rather than 
deifying somebody or turning somebody into a god figure and then just trying to dissect their every word. Correct. I mean, uh, the collective understanding of Bitcoin developers today of Bitcoin is probably superior to Satoshi's yep. at yep. this point. Yep. Uh, and so uh, it doesn't matter. And really, uh, people need to remember that Satoshi, this is a little known fact, um, Satoshi wrote the software first and then wrote the white paper as kind of an explanation. Yep. Uh, but uh, really, like it's pointless to try to like go and dissect every single semantics. But uh, please go ahead and um, add if I missed anything in the correct definition of cash. Yeah, well, look, uh, the, the only thing I'm going to add there is, like, like you said, the most important function of cash is the ability to settle. But the predicate for cash in any sort of society is the ability, is the ability to maintain some level of stable purchasing power. So something cannot be used as cash whilst it is volatile. And this is where their entire argument breaks down is that by building a better payments system or a faster payment system, or whatever argument they're trying to put forth so that the signal can move faster, doesn't define a better form of cash if the what is being signaled is still volatile because then nobody will use it as cash. So it, it literally, it, they, they remove the legs from under the table of their argument. And this is where that progression, and I love the chart that you did. And, you know, I've obviously done my rendition of a chart, the little pyramid, is something cannot have a stable network value until it has a large enough amount of capital being stored on it for it to function like that. So this is where it's, it's the whole their entire philosophy is the, the tail wagging the dog. They want to do payments and they, they're trying to bring forward the, the medium of exchange use case before you even have the predicate for something to function like cash, which is it, but by the time I give it to you, it, the fucking thing can't move 20% because you can't conduct commerce like that. It doesn't work. Um, and I think that, that, that right there just blows the entire argument um, up for them, which is, you know, cash being a unit of settlement that allows you to conduct a purchase um, in, a, in a way that is um, stable. And that doesn't exist yet. And we're so far away from that. And we need to do so much more before we can even get there. So that's sort of, you know, where I want to break down the, the, the basis of cash as a function um, or as a thing. Um, that's my rant. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I, I don't think we really disagree on anything. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, dude, so we don't go further down that rabbit hole. I think we've ticked off a bunch of things there. Do you want to quickly give the guys um, an, a little bit more of an understanding of Nash's ideal money? Um, I know Juice uh, on Twitter talks about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, Juice, Juice Sukur, Patoche, a bunch of others talk about it a lot. Um, kind of complicated, but essentially my the idea is that Fiat money isn't going to die. Yep. But rather, Bitcoin is going to act as a like a disciplinary tool to other countries and other central banks' um, money supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will either back their whole back their fiat currency with Bitcoin, or they will simply try to mimic its monetary policy to be like roughly as credible. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, now, I, I still, I've thought about it quite a lot, but I still don't really buy this argument. Uh, it's, and it would also, it would also still allow them to conduct a little bit of monetary policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously less so than they can today, but it would still give them some wiggle room, right? Um, I, I don't buy this argument because like, I, I can see something like this being as a transitionary maybe solution or a transitionary period, yep. but really ultimately, uh, like they can still go back and misbehave at any point. There's no guarantees. I, I think like I, 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 our generation in particular is a generation which increasingly uh, already does and will increasingly continue to trust algorithms, computers, and networks more than human beings themselves. Yep, yep. And I do think that algorithms, uh, especially of the decentralized, enforced kind, are more trustworthy than humans. Yep. Um, and, I th- and, and I would rather trust a verifiable algorithms, which is constantly being supported by uh, whatever, 40 exahash and 100,000 full nodes, rather than some eight fat, old, bald men in a mahogany room trying to decide what's going to happen for everybody. You know, and, and I think the world will the, the 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 world <laughs> yeah the the world will join uh, sort of this trend in my opinion. Well, that that comes back to your point earlier, which is things are going to move to where they're most functional. You know, and when I always argue, why did the internet win? Um, it, it won because more innovation happened there and it, it became the same the same argument that we're giving about bitcoin is this black hole where everything accrues on it um the internet became that against all of the other protocols all of the other proprietary fucking aols and everything else out there is that people realized this was a better foundation upon which to build and innovate and we had a complete infrastructure inversion moving from you know the the phone companies trying to say oh people want you know, better quality phone calls and video calls. So we're going to send smart signals down our lines. You know, what's the need of this dumb, you know, packet, data packet routing switch service? It's pointless. You know, why would we run that through our beautiful phone lines? And then all of a sudden the entire thing inverted and not only did it invert, it made them obsolete and it made paved the way for people to innovate on top of a robust communications network. And, you know, Bitcoin's doing the same thing, but for anything that, is associated with value and money. And then this is, so again, something we agree on. So Nash's ideal money. I mean, I, 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 again, I agree with you longer term. I think people will go to what makes more sense. They'll go to the better product. And, you know, if it, if anchoring to a network like Bitcoin in order to facilitate modern finance, um, or modern markets is going to be a better thing, then guess what? It's going to go there and the algos aren't going to be designed to choose the second best or the third best. They're going to choose the most stable, the most robust and best angle they can choose, right? Um, and then, uh, yeah, definitely. I still, I think this is where we, where we might disagree a bit because I, I don't think it's going to be like 100% winner take all for like, a very long time, if at all. Yep. Uh, okay, look, again, what, what I'm... Believe it or not, I actually agree that because I, I don't think that it's going to take 100%. Nothing can take 100% to in, even in today. Yeah, I, I, will, I think 
so so this is the thing like i obviously disagree with multi-coiners who think there's going to be like 10 coins or 10 big chains right that's that's ludicrous but i also kind of at least for the time being like i disagree with ultra maximalists who yep. think that we're only going to have like one coin like starting from next week and everything else dies right okay. i think what's more likely in the medium term and i think that's completely reasonable is we're going to have three or four dominant chains and uh simultaneously store value candidates so to speak mm -hmm. and they're going to be more distributed in like a pareto way in yep. which is like 70 70 28 2 you know what i mean yep yep yep, yep. it's, it's going to be, yeah, it's so gonna that's be power kind of, it'll be a power law yeah, yeah 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 exactly it's going to be a power law yes i also think like i, I also think at least so look we'll probably take like 40 years for people to trust this technology like fully like wholeheartedly right mm -hmm. and um like we're still having, there's still going to be more bugs. We're still going to have a bunch of things. And also in general, I think um, like the store value market, like the hundred trillion market is way too huge for it just to accrue to one. I, 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 and like, uh, I think the dynamics are also a bit different from gold, which is like, okay, you have the rock in your hand. Okay. It's safe. Right. But like uh, these things are hybrid money software. Um, it is, it is, it does, it, it, the fact that it is software allows it to be superior in many ways, allows to have this artificial $21 million cap, and in many ways allows us to be superior to gold. But it's also in many ways a little bit more fragile and malleable, I would say. And maybe eventually, like 60 years from now, we'll have one. But I think for the time being, we'll probably have like three or four. And I, I agree with you. And I think for the time being, and like you've drawn out in your charts, is um, this thing's going to come in cycles. So we're still so early in the piece that it's going to still take another two, three, four cycles for a broad enough. Because it's funny, I, there was this, there's this little uh, meme that I always give to people is people come in via Bitcoin, they discover all of this other shit and they go down, you know, fucking Alice in Wonderland and, you know, glittery eyes and everything. And then, you know, after about six months or a year or whatever, if they stay in it, they realize that oh, it's all bullshit. So they end up coming back to like, you know, more or less Bitcoin and Monero, <laughs> maybe one, uh, maybe one other. And then they end up coming full circle just to Bitcoin. Cause they're like, ah, oh, fuck it. This is really all that matters. So it's, you know, the, it, that's also a form of cycle. And what happens over time is that more and more people go through that cycle. Um, and well, uh, there's, I think like, so here's the thing, right? When, when I, in middle of January, 2018, my, my barber in New York was telling me about IOTA. Yeah. 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 And I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to sell my coins, yeah. but um, some, I like, I, I didn't even plan to like sell it. I, I just plan to keep hodling it, but something in my mind just like got me spooked and I was like, you know, this is getting out of control. And yep. so luckily I, um, I wasn't really like even trading that much back then. Like I just like, I sold like 80% of my holdings and it turned out to be like, like two days before the total top, like, right. Lucky. Uh, for, for the altcoins in particular. And, um, yeah, like here's the thing, like, this is another thing. Like I agree with you, 100% agree with what you're saying, but um, at w when we like January, February, 
I realized that these altcoins are complete. Well, I didn't realize that was obviously always the case, but like altcoins were complete, obviously absolute trash, at least 99.99% of them. And you start appreciating the conservatism of Bitcoin, yes. the reliability, the, the reliability of it. And the fact that it kind of moves slowly is a good thing. Um, but then right now you see people who one year ago were the most rabid shit coiners in the world. Yep. And now they're, they're, now they're coming out with the most ultra maximalist, like the most Bitcoin ultra maximalist statements on Twitter. <laughs> and honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to want to buy some alts right now just because like, you just want to be ahead of these people. Like they'll, one year from now, they'll be altcoiners again, you know? And when, so Bitcoin is like this index of uh, fear and greed. Yep. And it's it, it, during bear markets in particular, everybody's a Bitcoin maximalist. Everything's a scam. It's all bullshit. Bitcoin's yep. the only thing. And look, when, when animal spirits of the bull market and the egos will will wake up during the bull market again and people's egos will get the better better of them try to outperform bitcoin they'll all become altcoiners again it's just a cycle exactly and and, <laughs> and this is this is sort of where um i think you and i agree and then i sort of diverge with um with tone because i had the same discussion with tone saying that you know the 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 altcoins aren't just fucking going to disappear and they're not going to go away well, yeah dude he thinks that he thinks that altcoins are going to die yeah dude that will never happen yeah, that will never have, like as, that's as not going to happen for like yeah. five more cycles. Yeah, as long as human beings exist and and our innate ability to you know ha- our innate greed still exists, we're going to try and redo this. Particularly as long as the inability to understand Bitcoin well enough exists, or the ability to profit off people's inability to understand exists, altcoins are going to exist. Simple as that. And you can't take that out. You know, one thing I will say that the cycles do is that throughout it, as a, a proportion of the cohort that come into Bitcoin, go into altcoins, come back to Bitcoin, a proportion of them actually stay with Bitcoin. Although, like you said, the majority will just go through the next bull market uh, cycle, drop Bitcoin again, try to make a fucking quick buck and, and then realize. But probably, you know, each time somebody sticks in and runs through the cycle, each time the trust, faith, and belief in Bitcoin strengthens and we start to build this broader base of like what we were talking about before is the right kind of adoption, which is holding Bitcoin and accumulating Bitcoin. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's, man, everything in the world just happens in cycles. And once you sort of start to think in those terms, you realize that this is just another one of those things that, um, happens in beautiful cycles that if you can take yourself out of the noise, um, you can, you can do so much with it, but, um, totally. It's, it's really, uh, investing is really, it's about waiting. Yes. The money is made in waiting. It's about studying and waiting and timing is everything. You let the opportunity come to you. Don't expect things to happen so quickly. Be patient. It's funny how time just keeps coming up again, right? Because we're talking about well, time. Time is the real currency. Time is the really scarce thing. Yeah. Although I think humans, I think humans will transcend that as well and and achieve immortality. Likely, or or at least um, uh, a mortality. 
I, or, or at least, or at least, life extension, significant life extension. Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, have you heard of the term? Have you heard of the term immortality instead of immortality? Yeah, it's like uh, you, you you can still die, but you're not going to die of natural causes, right? Correct. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. basically, for every year, yeah, yeah. Live, we have an average year. You can still be you can you can still be killed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So all right, sweet. Um. Do we want to touch on? Do we want to touch on the the graph um, or the chart that you built? Where you know we start off with um, digital scarcity, mutability, and go all the way up to unit of account uh, for global money. Do, do do we want to touch on that really briefly? Um, yeah, sure. So, like, it's kind of um, you've written a lot about this. We've written a lot about this. Zabo written a lot about this. Uh, Vijay Boyapati has written about this. Essentially. I mean, all of these are interconnected. And technically, technically, money is uh, a store of value, a medium of exchange, and a unit of account simultaneously at all times, technically. But we believe that um, certain uh, functions of these, uh, they predominate during certain uh, periods of a money's evolution. And uh, we also, and because these, uh, because Bitcoin isn't just a physical stone or a metal, it's a technology, uh, which we as a community collectively kind of guide in one way or another, we should also prioritize certain functionalities in certain decades, so to speak. And um, essentially, um, Bitcoin, technically, I still think all cryptocurrencies, they're still collectibles, technically speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Bitcoin is closest to the store of value, but I think technically all cryptocurrencies are still between the collectible and the store of value phase. 100%. You kind of want to see Bitcoin uh, a bit bigger before I would be comfortable calling it a full-fledged, uh, fully reliable store of value. Um, okay. Once once it starts going to two and a half, three trillion, we can have this discussion in a more serious tone. Yep. But generally, the overall idea is that you start with a collectible, you go more towards sort of a store of value or a medium of large wealth transfer, and then you become a medium of exchange, and subsequently you become a unit of account. And essentially, uh, as you grow in size, as you grow in liquidity, as you grow in stability, as you grow in trust, as you grow in financialization, as you grow in institutionalization, as you grow in cognitive, global, perceived reliability, mm-hmm. these things are going to lend themselves more and more to be day-to-day money, day-to-day currency, day-to-day cash. And one day, if they are extremely stable, extremely liquid, they can even become stable unit of accounts or pricing mechanisms. But it, these things don't happen overnight. This is probably, we're probably only a decade in what's probably going to be a half a century long paradigm shift. So yep. we have to be patient. Yep. And um, generally, we're going to move through these speculative cycles. That's completely fine because short-term greed drives the human civilization in many ways, whether we like it or not. Yep. But uh, the key is that every subsequent bottom is higher than the previous one. Yep. And we have seen that before. We have seen it at 30. We've seen it at uh, 200. Now we're probably going to see it at like 2,000, 3,000, whatever, yep. somewhere in that area, I think. But uh, the key, don't look at, uh, somebody put it in a very smart way. And that's, I think, more relevant to a store of value. First of all, 
does bit uh, as a long-term store of value bitcoin has been the best ever that's yep. first of all but um don't look at the tops look at the bottoms because the bottoms is what really matters the bot the bottom the bottom symbolize the hodlers the bottom symbolize people who are committed yes and they are symbolize the minority value investors who step in at that time they symbolize the buyers of last resort and they symbolize indirectly the hodlers of last resort yep and um the bottoms so far have been climbing higher and higher that's what really matters what it shows to me as an analyst is that bitcoin monetization even though it might be a little bit slower than we than the crypto anarchist in us wants it's still happening it's happening uh, and it's uh, despite the wild ups and downs bitcoin is steadily on its way to becoming the digital gold of the future i couldn't have said it better myself um it is uh it, it's just it's it's fascinating how that these two concepts of trust and time just keep coming up and 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 again you know i i like to take a very anthropological sort of evolutionary look at this is you know as as a species we've evolved our survival mechanisms have evolved from our need uh, to trust and the if, if you look at, you know, and, and I don't want to go, I, I, I wanted to go through this today, but I don't know if we're going to, if we should or if we'll have enough time, but the, the concept of shared fictions, um, which Yuval talks about in his book, um, Sapiens, and he talks about what helped us as human beings move from being some significant, insignificant ape out in the savannah somewhere to being the apex uh, species on the planet that now runs everything was our ability to hack trust. And the way we hack trust is we create concepts or fictions that we're able to collectively agree upon. Um, and then that allows us to collaborate in large numbers because biologically we can't trust, we, we, we can't have uh, tight enough relationships with uh, more than 100 to 150 to 200 individuals. Um, and tight relationships, again, are based on this concept or this notion of trust. So everything that we do is based on that. And it takes time and the systems or the fictions or the abstractions that we collectively agree on also take time to entrench themselves in our psyche. Um, and the, most, the, the one that has lasted the longest is money and it's just evolved over time. And to think that we're going to do this somehow in the space of 10 years, just because we live in the technological age is absolutely preposterous. It's absolutely insane. And it just shows uh, when people try and push that argument, it just shows their lack of understanding of how human beings function, how society functions and how money as an enabler of those two things actually functions. And, I mean, this, this, that, that part for me, that, that real evolutionary biology, you know, biologist type area of Bitcoin just really closes the loop because you start to realize how fundamentally important it is to everything else on the planet. And, and without getting that layer right, none of the other shit matters. And, but that, again, that doesn't stop people along the way or along the journey 
from creating whatever the fuck they want to, which in other words is altcoins, um, based on their, uh, like I said earlier, lower understanding or, or incomplete understanding or based on the fact that there's an opportunity to sell to people with an incomplete understanding because, hey, you know, like you said, greed is a part of us and without it, we wouldn't be here. Um, you know, it doesn't exist totally. because it's, um, you know, like greed, for example, people run around and say, oh, greed is bad. It's, well, look, if it was bad and if it was a useless part of, you know, human beings, nature or evolution would have dropped the shit a long time ago, but it didn't. And it's one of those, it's one of the things within us which drive us forward as a society um, and allow us to survive. But anyway, I'm not going to get into a, a biological fucking discussion. Um, let's let's try stick with Bitcoin. Otherwise, I'll end up on um, <laughs> I'll end up on another freaking tangent here. Um, yeah, totally. Um, I even think that uh, I even think that the desire for reproductive success and that doesn't just mean immediate lust but um quality of your partner health of your offspring your offspring getting education everyone being well fed etc uh i think that that's an even stronger force than greed but that com the competitive drives there they drive capitalist competition and they drive uh men and women competing against one another in providing products and services in order to emerge as champions of that sort of very harsh and very hierarchical uh, comp competition. It's very Darwinian. And uh, I think that essentially lust and love, they, dr they drive human progress. Yes, they, well, they do. They do. Uh, I, and it's yeah. fine. And it's totally fine. Like, I mean, uh, the world, like the world is a competitive place and we have scarce resources, so we should compete for who can sort of manipulate the resources, manipulate uh, these and provide sort of superior solutions to problems better and should be duly rewarded. And that's why look, I, I, my belief is that the reason why socialist systems collapse is because you cannot have a like a, a genius PhD person and a janitor get paid the same money. No. Like that, it, it, because that goes against very essence of nature. Exactly. Because men, men, men need games. They need, they need competitive uh, sort of arenas uh, because, and that you, and capitalism works at least better than other, other systems because it, it, it provides that playground. Yes. It provides that arena for competition. And the reason why it works is that it creates these win-win scenarios where people making money is ideally also the things that are going to give the world an iPhone, also the things that are going to give the world a medicine, etc. And so that's how, that's how it grows. And in socialist systems, you don't have aligned incentives because people care about their family more than their country. And that's why it's a much stronger motivation. 100%. I think I want to I get into um, opportunity of outcome versus opportunity of, uh, sorry, 
equality of outcome versus equality of opportunity a little bit later. Um, but, you know, you, you touch on one of the most poignant points there is that nature by definition is competitive. And this, this is actually probably a big part of why greed as a, um, as a call it an emotional, call it a, call it whatever you want to call it within human beings evolved. I, I just want to, I do want to say that I don't believe greed is the strongest force. It's not, but it's one of, our survival forces and as a result and this is actually another reason why I love bitcoin is that you know if you look at nature as a as this system where each component of nature or each species and everything is working toward its own survival which is effectively a um a a, a self-centered or a self-focused uh endeavor helps the collective uh, prosper and continue, and um, and if you look at Bitcoin, it's 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 such an interesting microcosm of the broader natural um, phenomenon, which is people totally. with their own self-interest uh, helping strengthen the collective. It's it's such it's such an interesting um such an interesting analogy that I don't think a lot of people appreciate enough. Is you know, I I don't think like you said. Satoshi created something and I don't know whether he, she, them, they, fucking whatever it is, really, I mean, if, if they did um, fathom the depth of, you know, what this innovation was going to you know, evolve into and the building blocks they put out, then, you know, it's probably the closest thing to, you know, <laughs> a God that we've ever had, right? Um, but if, even if they didn't, um, it doesn't matter because this thing has evolved as something that is a reflection of how things evolve in nature. And it's such a, it's such an interesting um, microcosm of it. And the, the beautiful thing is that he's not forcing us to do it like a government or a central bank. Correct. He just, he just proposed it. Yep. And we are here. We're here willingly. We're here, not because we're pushed to, but because we want to. We want to. Yes. And that is the most powerful, robust, functional form of system you can have. For human beings, right? Yeah, you, and for sure. again, where socialism as a concept falls apart because people don't do shit because they want to; they do shit because they fucking have to, and that's the wrong way to um, think about things. Because you don't incent people to be the best; um, you incent people to be fucking average. Um, and well, you you just in, you just incentivize people to take advantage of the bureaucracy. Correct. Correct. Um, oh man. Uh, Dude, I want to I want to touch a little bit on lightning. Um, I I just wrote a bunch of stuff on lightning and talking about how it's you know effectively going to bring more um, economic activity to Bitcoin, not directly to Bitcoin, but as you know a second layer and subsequent layers of networks build. What they're going to look to do is they're going to look to anchor into a stable, robust, uncompromisable source of truth, right? Um, and yep. you know, what's what's your thoughts on Lightning? Um, you know, and w- let's have a bit of a discussion around that. I so I think Lightning might be bigger than Bitcoin itself. Like, obviously, not from like a valuation or anything standpoint, but I think like when it when it's all said and done. Uh, lightning and 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 related technologies will make the base layers look minimalist in comparison. Yep. 
and I think that like I've been studying, catching up on like neutrino and channel factories and like all these things over the past couple of months. And dude, it's like, it's, it's going to be like a whole nother universe. It's yeah. extremely exciting. Man, uh, I love what you just said there because one of the big things that one of the big narratives of last year and the year before was the fat protocol thesis, and that shit never sat right with me, because it's so fat fat protocols are are essentially wrong. Yes. Um, and even though like the quote unquote protocols are still like the bigger the biggest market caps, the result is coincidental. Um, the logic of fat protocols is comp- is completely wrong in my opinion. And um, it essentially, I believe, said that the speculation on dApps that are being built on top of the protocol is going to result in the base uh, like protocol on which the dApps are built accruing the most value. But um, I, that, dude, that completely misses the point. And immediately, I understand that the, the person didn't read or study monetary economics ever. They didn't consider monetary liquidity, didn't consider store of value, didn't consider inflation, didn't consider the, consider the security properties of the system or any of these things that are actually driving the value. Well, they don't even understand how systems function. You, you can't have a system that functions like that because all you do is you, that, that would be the equivalent of every time you and I, like for example, you and I wanted to do a podcast, we would need to go to court and say, we're going to do a podcast. Can you please record this somewhere so that the fucking world knows that we're going to do a podcast? It's madness. Absolute madness. Well, I, honestly, I, I, don't even, I don't even think that dApps are honestly going to be like that big. They're not. Uh, and at, least, at, least anytime, at least anytime soon. No, no, I, look, I don't even think they're going to be a thing. I, I think dApps are the dumbest idea. Yeah. I, I actually... <laughs> I, my, my, my proposition is that everything... Dude, are these people really that stupid? Like, dApps aren't even going to be that big of a thing. Like, it's so obvious. And also, money is like a 10 billion times bigger in terms of the revolution, in terms of the things that we can achieve. Correct. And, and, and so... A crypto, a crypto money can actually change the world. Yeah. These dApps, no one gives it. No one gives. No one gives about them. You yeah, know what I mean? I, look, I used to say it when I when I used to argue with Ethereum people. I said, "Look, you're, you're telling me you're building an unstoppable machine here that you know you can build any program on so that it runs. Tell me how many things really need to be unstoppable. You know, may, maybe maybe yeah, a, exactly a, maybe exactly execution site, maybe a fucking terrorist site, and maybe a you know fucking a drug site. <laughs> <laughs> this, 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 this. Most things." Most things are better are actually better centralized. Correct. Like how yeah. many things how many things actually need to be hyper decentralized? Like money, money. maybe like a prediction maybe maybe it maybe a prediction market or something like that. But like and like yeah, the criminal stuff you talked about. But like that, that's it's just it. money. Like that's you don't it. need to hyper decentralize everything else. That's just completely just just utter bullshit. Exactly. And this is and this is where so so where I get into lightning and this is my argument um, during next week's talk is that I see Lightning as a way to abstract security and introduce complexity without impacting the core. And that is the innovation of something like Lightning or second, third layer and, and further abstracted um, layers onto something. And this is how natural systems function anyway. Like when I did my first talk on Lightning about a year and a bit ago, I used the example of thinking in first principles. And also I used examples of 
plumbing infrastructure coming into cities. When you, when you have plumbing infrastructure connecting cities, you have big, large fucking pipes that connect the city. And then when, when the pipe comes into the city, you don't have every house connecting to the fucking pipe. You have a set of arteries and veins that split out from the pipe to service all of the capillaries and all, all, of, the, all of the things out in the, in the fringes. And the human body functions like that. Nature functions like that. Engineering functions like that. Everything functions like that. And this network is also going to function in the same way. You have a layer that is functional and gives you a guarantee of... Um, security. Now, like you said, we might have one, two, three, whatever, depending on what that power law looks like. And the networks that are built on top, which is these lightning type networks that allow for whether it's instant payments or instant, what I like to call interactions that involve some form of monetary you know, component, they will just anchor to the network that gives them the best guarantee. Simple as that. And, and that's why I think, and when you say lightning will probably be bigger, I, I agree. I think all of the innovation that people were talking about and, and that they attributed to blockchain and to all this other stuff, I think all of that sort of stuff is all going to happen on lightning. And as a result, I reckon that is a further, well, a much further reason to be bullish on something like Bitcoin, because if we're going to build a network like lightning, where every single person is not only a um a consumer of that data but they also produce and route because that, that's how the functionality works um they're going to want to anchor or connect to the most um indisputable or most uh robust and stable network that sits beneath it and that, that's why i think by far bitcoin is going to win and then you will have others where the, the the guarantee doesn't have to be as strong or it might have some other small benefits to it but um, what what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I, I 100% agree with everything you just said. Okay. Well, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do. I do, think, I, I, I do think that um, other like other a couple of other coins are going to have lighting to them. Yeah. Well, again, yes. Why not? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, like, I think it's interesting. I've been thinking about like base layer competition lately. Yep. And base layer moats, essentially. And and ladies and gentlemen, we're back after some technical difficulty. Thank you, Brisbane Internet and Telstra, for being shit. Anyway, back to Murad. Competition of base layers. Yeah, I think like if you very optimistically assume that Lightning Network and such technologies are going to be very interoperable and swappable and increasingly private, then you have to ask yourself what the base layers will be competing, uh, like along which verticals they'll be competing in. Yep. And I think it's going to come down to uh, like five things in probably decreasing importance. It's going to be security, credibility of monetary policy in a sustainable fashion, um, quality of engineers, Yep. zeal and religiosity of the community yep. uh, obviously liquidity slash raw market cap size because that like in itself is a moat yep. and um something i call inelasticity of block space demand for the purposes of higher settlement which in simpler terms is essentially going to be 
people will be willing to pay high fees. And uh, it's, it's, it's these things that, in my opinion, the base layers are going to be competing on. Oh, and, and I think governance, actually. Um, and, but like all of these things, like the, the, the devs, the community, the liquidity, and even I would say the credibility monetary policy, like those come with time. So really it just comes down to security and governance. Yes. And I think that differentiations along these two uh, verticals, um, if I might sound, sound a bit shit coiny for a minute, I think differentiations along these verticals are going to drive, um, are going to be like where, like how you make money in alts essentially. <laughs> 100%, 100%. I, I think, and I mean, this is, it's funny when I first heard you mention Decred um, and, and I, I looked at Decred a while ago and I was like, Fuck, these guys, did. everything I listened to them and everything I read about them, you know, had a, a relative level of intelligence and the way they were approaching the problem and everything. I was like, man, these guys aren't fucking run-of-the-mill dumb shits um you know there's there's some brain there and there's 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 some logic and there's some process and there's some um there's a method there that sounds relatively sound and i um i never did much else with it like i bought a little bit of decred like you know a year ago whatever it was or a year and a half ago and i just you know let it sit down i wouldn't even have a clue what the price of it is today but um when i heard you mention it i was like hmm Maybe I was onto something because I, I never really looked into it um, deeper. But bef before I ask you about Decred, because um, I, I want to talk a, a, about a, little, a couple of the alts, um, I, I just want to tie off this lightning thing. Um, yeah, with with, with a couple of things. So um, it's it's super relevant actually because the little known fact, uh, the code that's used in Lightning a Demon is code that uh, Dave Collins from Decred wrote like, like five years ago. And yeah. uh, that code, which is BTC Suite, which was a full node implementation of Bitcoin and Go, mm -hmm. uh, which they worked for for three years before even starting Decred, yeah. that's like the basis of LND. And that's also the basis of, of like uh, a lot of um, like Ethereum stuff as well. Yeah. So it's like the reason I bring this up is because two reasons. Decred devs aren't. Are, are like really high quality. Yep. And two, uh, they worked on Bitcoin itself for three years before even starting their alt. Mm -hmm. And three, uh, I am so bullish on Lightning Network that uh, it will become such an important thing of such strategic importance for the space as a whole and for any chain mm -hmm. that um, uh, I think Decred will be an important coin because it is it's going to have lightning natively. Uh, like they're actually building lightning onto all the software like itself. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. going to be like, it's going to be like right inside the core software, which I think is like super cool. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. so in other words, what you're saying is that if, um, if lightning, it, so if the theory or the thesis around lightning taking off and being something, it, it will also lift something like Decred um, because of the way they've uh, architected it for it, correct? Is that, is that what you're saying, yeah? Uh, yeah, I think the, the, like people talk about how like all the alts will have lightning, that's not true at all. It's, it's actually kind of complicated to like build it on, on top of the base layer. Yep. And um, like Decred people like build the code for it like years back. 
And so I think um, they'll be, they'll probably be like the second chain to have. I mean, Litecoin already has it, but um, I, I don't consider Litecoin to be a credible store of value contender at all because it essentially has no differentiation. It does nothing that Bitcoin cannot do. Yeah. So to me, it's completely, it's completely irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, bull, I'm bullish on Decred because it does like six things differently and, and I, I really like them. Yeah, yeah. No, all right. So last thing about Lightning, um, or, or may, maybe two things. Uh, I've, I've got a question here that I wrote is, will the next generation of users be on Bitcoin or on Lightning um, or is it too early? So I guess this sort of ties back to the idea of cohorts and cycles is, you know, I, I'm a big believer that in, in future, people won't be talking about buying you know, Bitcoin or chunks of Bitcoin, they're going to be buying Satoshi's um, primarily, particularly as the network value increases because, you know. Totally, totally. I think Satoshi Satoshi's are actually going to be the currency. Correct. Bitcoin is just like a huge bundle of them. Yes, yes. So yeah. on, so do you think, which cycle do you think we're going to start to see that inflection point happening where the, where the vernacular and the language moves from talking about Bitcoin to talking about Satoshi? Do you think that's this next cycle? Do you think it's a cycle after that or the one after that? What's your thoughts? Um, probably like at least two cycles from now. Two cycles from now. Okay. And that, that uh, well, you need, you need a higher Bitcoin price yeah. and two, uh, more lightning penetration. Okay. So in your mind, what sort and I, I'm not asking you to be Nostradamus here. Um, is in, in your mind, what sort of Bitcoin price or Bitcoin network value are you thinking is going to start to make sense for you know the, the language to change towards Satoshi and Lightning? Mm, sorry, you, you cut out there for a second. Okay. I was thinking, in your mind, so not asking you to be Nostradamus, but in your mind, what um, at what Bitcoin price or Bitcoin network value do you anticipate uh, Satoshi's becoming the thing that we um that we discuss or that we interact with? Um, like three hundred k and up. Three hundred k and up. Okay, all right, that's a bit higher than what I was expecting. Okay, so so at that stage, you think we'll be well and truly into, you know, it's it's all about buying Satoshi's. Um, you know, do, do you think the inflection point? is a little bit early or do you think that is actually where the inflection point is? Yeah. I mean, once you have the higher, uh, base Bitcoin price and lightning actually starting to get used for, com so, cause like uh, lightning starting to actually get used for like payments and commercial stuff. Yeah. Uh, like that's when the Satoshis will start being relevant. Cause even today, like you see all the lightning Twitter people, they essentially only speak in Satoshis. They don't even bring Bitcoins up. Yeah. Which is you, you are all, that's already kind of a microcosm of what's to come. Yep. But um, I think it's it might take a bit longer than you think because, um, like for example, I, I, I like even as cool as Lightning is, I, I'm not really going to use it for like ten years because yep. I'm not spending I'm not spending Bitcoin at all. <laughs> well, it's, the the reason I'm laughing is because at that meetup that I was mentioned earlier, um, you know. I, there was a guy in the front row who was from EOS and, you know, during question time, holy crap, we got into a bit of a heated argument because he goes, oh, you know, this Bitcoin thing is just stupid. It still doesn't have adoption. I'm sick and tired of people talking about Bitcoin. You know, at EOS, we've got adoption. We've got Instagram models talking about it. I was like, Jesus Christ, that's this guy's definition of adoption. Like, fucking these guys have gone completely off the rail well but my my hope is that my hope is that and and this is kind of cynical of me but my hope is that um 
with every cycle, the median IQ of the space will keep improving because institutions and ultra high net worth individuals will play a bigger role than they have versus retail in yeah. the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the world is structured in a way where essentially like 200 people, they, they own everything and they're not dumb. Yep. And so they'll be investing in the right things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah. it doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter what idiots are saying because the idiots have no money anyway. Yeah. Uh, and the people who do have money, they at least think, or statistically, they're more likely to be smarter. And so uh, they, will do, they will have their 50 analysts actually study everything on a mathematical level before making any serious decisions rather than just like talking about useless shit. Yeah, the, I, I agree with you because like the, the reason I laughed at the guy was because he said, you know, you guys don't have any, you know, and adoption, don't talk to me about lightning because nobody's using it. And I said, I hope, I said, I don't give a fuck about lightning being used. And, I, and why I'm laughing is that I also said 10 years. I said, I don't care if lightning doesn't get used for another 10 years. I said, that doesn't matter. That's not the game we're playing. And he's like, 10 years? What kind of adoption is that? And that's when he went into his little Instagram model rant. And it's just, it's just funny how some of us just think in just that longer term horizon. It's just, it's insane. But anyway, so time frame. next and final question on um, lightning is one of the arguments I gave about lightning a little while back was that building infrastructure such as it makes the, the entire system uh, more robust because it introduces uh, incentives outside of just mining um, and then what it does is it, it brings skin in the game for people who aren't just miners so so what you end up is a multi-layer uh, a, a multi-layer type of guarantee um, in a system where more people are vested in its um, in its success so I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm articulating that as well but you know what what are your thoughts on adding a layer of incentive Outside you mean because of because you can make money like with the hubs or because because like people or more from like an engineering standpoint uh maybe both but more so from the money from the hubs because one of the components of what i love about lightning is that you know you being a part of the lightning network you're not just a um doing payments but you're also facilitating payments so as as a result um, you're you're becoming part of the network, and you've also got a little bit of skin in the game in the network. So, what, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, totally. I, I I don't think that people will make that much money routing because it's going to become like an insanely competitive market. But um, I think for the time being, yeah, I've I've heard theories that the techniques to actually optimize like the um like the channel liquidity management and and and, and all those things actually are require some sophistication at the moment mm -hmm. so maybe some money in fees will be made for like the first five six years of it but then i think um they're going to become this whole this whole thing is going to become increasingly competitive yeah well okay maybe maybe i didn't articulate that as well so Whilst I agree with that, I think the point that I was making, it really goes back to the, 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 the talk that I gave bloody over a year and a bit ago was if, if we wanted to build a network and the only form of validation and check was purely miners, I, I don't think that's as robust as a network 
that separates or, or gives you multiple layers of validation. And, you know, the validation on the Lightning Network is slightly different. Like, so it's got its own uh, level of, you know, game theory and validation that occurs up there that is linked to the base layer. So w w I believe a multi-layer infrastructure gives you actually, as a whole, more security than sticking with just one layer with just miners. Maybe that's sort of the point that I was trying to make there. I think, honestly, I think that applies to, I mean, the, the exact argument that you're making is much stronger applied to Decred than Lightning. Uh, because in Decred, you have stakers approving miners' work, yep. actual direct security. Yep. But Lightning itself, it like it doesn't really affect the security of the base chain. Yep. But I guess it it I, I would say lightning contributes to security of the base layer if it increases economic the activity. like the economic activity by like two orders of magnitude potentially. Yeah, yeah. And then and then like Jevon's paradox style, you are going to even though you're gonna get a lot of efficiency you're going to get even more demand. So the total fees are going to be even greater than today. Like that's kind of an argument that I've heard people make. Yep. Uh, but in and of itself, lightning doesn't really increase the security of your money. Okay. Interesting. Um, I, I articulated that one poorly. I'll, I'm going to tweet. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to send that to you as a message in, in a, in a, at a, so, so I hope my Bitcoin Ultra Maximus friends don't hear this, but I actually think that hybrid proof of work, proof of stake is yeah. more secure than proof of work. Um, well, because you, you're adding layers and then that's sort of... Well, you're adding layers like, a, a, well, an attacker would have to buy 51% of the hash rate and 51% of the coins, yeah, which yeah. is like essentially, impo essentially impossible. Yeah, yeah. Well, and imagine, the, well, the thing is that like, it, the problem with Bitcoin is that, like, I mean, this might never become an issue, but just hypothetically, its security only comes from aggregate fees, assuming all coins have been minted. Mm -hmm. But with the coins, we, with the proof of stake component added on top, you are defended by the aggregate fees and you're also defended by the market cap. So if, if say, something like Bitcoin is going to be one trillion and then Decred is going to be one trillion, then Decred would be like 25 times more expensive to attack. Yep, 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 yep. And uh, it's also more secure on an intra-block basis because uh, essentially in Decred, things like selfish mining or fee sniping or minor or block space censorship, they're much harder to pull off by miners because if they do that, they don't get any fees or they don't get any reward because the stakers need to approve every single block. Essentially, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think, I think that it's something to study, at least for sure. It is, and, and you, you touch on there the whole proof of stake thing. Is there is there is a school of thought which you could, which almost places something like lightning or a second layer technology. Almost, you could almost define it as a form of or a light form of proof of stake. Yeah, it kind of is because yeah, yeah definitely. I've I've heard that metaphor. Yeah, yeah. So and that's sort of I think you you help help me just flesh it out there is that 
by combining a network that is that functions a little bit more like proof of stake with proof of work the the whole becomes overall more secure but like you said that argument then applies for something like decred having a more robust nature by combining well yeah because 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 by by your own logic yep. decred is actually going to have three because it's going to have proof of work proof of stake and lightning so yeah. it has like all these layers you know okay. and probably more good point Good point, good point, good point. And imagine it when you add like layer three, like Martindale's fabric or channel factories onto on top of it all, which is gonna it's like a whole it's like a whole nother dude, it's it's very sci-fi. Yeah, man. It's fucking cool. Well, yeah. I mean, that was gonna be my, my next part of the thing was gonna be decred. So we've we've talked about a bunch of stuff in decred. We just touched on another thing. Is there anything else you want to tell people about decred? Yeah, I kind of like people say people a lot of people have superficial understanding of it but i really like the i really like its governance because um you like you vote on everything that happens in decred from the smallest kind of uh to, from the smallest tweak to the biggest on-chain like serious consensus change and the people who are allowed to vote are those who are willing to stake their coins or essentially lock them up for somewhere between one and five months. And I think this is really powerful because the people who get to make decisions are those who have their actual wealth tied up in the system for an unspecified and deliberately randomized period of time. And essentially, like if your wealth is tied up, you really you start really, really caring about it because the illiquidity really makes you care about A, R- maintaining the security of the system, but B, also um, for the coin price to go up. And um, of course, it's much more experimental than Bitcoin sort of rough, uh, like shelling point consensus. But um, I think th- this should be explored. And I think at the very least, it has potential. Yeah. Interesting. Um so I, I like Decred because if you sit down and think about how base layers should compete, the intrinsically it's just the security model and the governance model. And Decred is powerful because it does both differently. Not just one of them, but both. Yeah. Yeah. So what's um I mean I'm gonna get I'm gonna get burned by my Bitcoin friends here for even having this conversation. <laughs> um Yeah, same, but I don't care. Yeah. I like I'm, here's the thing, right? Like, I, I need to admit this. Like, I, I, I care about making money more than I care about any particular coin. Like, yeah. that's just, that's just my truth. So, um, and if I know that we still have like a couple more of these crazy cycles yeah. and illiquid altcoins will outperform, then, and, and like, I've done the, I've done the statistical analysis. I've done it all. And I know that like, this is likely going to happen then I'm like, it would be irrational for me not to take advantage of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's your, one, one, of, the, one of the arguments that, you know, and I'm just going to play devil's advocate here on Decred is, you know, yep. Bitcoin's got how many exahash now worth of um, compute power behind it. Do, yeah. do you know how much Decred has or no? I don't know the exact number, but it's gone 500x in the last year. 500x okay and how, how does a lot 
how does that compare to um, sort of Bitcoin's trajectory? Well, you can't, you can't, you, you can't, it's hard to compare because there are different algorithms, which would like completely different mathematics. Yeah, okay. Uh, but the hashing algorithms are different. But essentially, it's, it's, it's exploding as we speak. It's already up um, 250% since the beginning of the year. 250. It was 500x. It was 500x in 2018, and it's 260% this year. Okay, interesting. Um, and because it's a because it's a different algorithm, so is is the marker through which we're measuring decreds? I guess um, overall hashing power. It, it's 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 different. So it's, we, we're not just going to say uh, it's got you know x x a hash the same way as we say for Bitcoin. Is that correct? Yeah, I I don't even look at hash rate. Just look at cost of attack. That's what really matters. Yeah, cost of attack. All right. Okay, and that's where. So that's where the, the, the thing about the thing about this the thing about this like the the hybridizing. So I actually hate pure proof of stake. Yeah. I don't think it's gonna work. Of course. Yeah. It's fun. I, well, or or I don't think I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's. I don't think those chains are going to become global stores of value. No. But the the beauty of hybrid proof of work proof of stake is that um, it doesn't suffer from any of the problems of pure proof of stake. So you know, like weak subjectivity, nothing at stake, randomness issues, oligarchy. None of those are an issue in hybrid proof of work proof of stake because um, it's still rooted in electricity. Yep. And proof of stake is only added after the miners have proposed the blocks. And it's only added as like a second layer. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so it's still technically rooted in proof of work. And proof of work, uh, miners receive 60% of the block reward, which also solves the oligarchy stuff because the proof of stake people get continuously diluted, which they don't in pure proof of stake. Yes. And there's no randomness issues because uh, it's still like, it's still based in it's still based in proof of work caching and, and electricity, and um, last but not least, there's no weak subjectivity either because once again it's rooted in the um, in electricity, <laughs> as opposed to uh, as opposed to like having to having people tell you like what's the right chain, right? And um, essentially, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm yeah I'm bullish. I, I think. Decred only the, the beauty of this is that it's one of those like one plus one equals eight type situations, you know yeah. uh, Decred only needs to be like seven percent the size of Bitcoin to be as secure Yep, which I think is gonna be powerful Interesting, and um, I think that and I think that the the stakers can be far more de like the staking layer can be far more decentralized um, Than the mining layer. Yeah um, Than the mining layer and 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 in Decred you have both which is like, it's kind of like, uh, it's, multi, it's multiplicatory, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about the argument that, you know... And, and I would also add, and this mathematics that I mentioned, that's without adding the illiquidity issues, which is, uh, what I'm trying to say is, if anyone even tries to buy, I'm not even talking about 51%, if anyone even tries to buy like 20, 25% of the coins, with every couple of percents that they buy, they push the price so much higher than yeah. the additional two per, than every additional two percent that they're trying to buy is going to be more and more and more expensive. Yeah, well, and, and this in itself, this this in itself as acts as a security. You know, yeah. that's yeah. that's on top of that's on top of the twenty three x in security that you get from hybridization. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, so it's super, super secure. What's What's your thoughts on you know when networks when networks take off, particularly when networks have a superiority around one function? So, for example, you know, Bitcoin is the most immutable, um, you know. Uh, network on the face of the planet. In fact, it's the only digital network that I know of where we can't turn back time, where it costs, and, and the immutability is a function of that cost. So therefore, it's, it's kind of like real life. We can't turn back time. Um, now, for any application that requires that, you know, and money being one of those applications, um, is the ability to have a final settlement. Um, you know, when, when networks start to take off and you know run away you know the you know the, the idea that you know the, the power law is going to be even more pronounced in a in a network as such that is supposed to be um you know and, and i i guess what i'm saying is bitcoin and i, I heard andreas say this and it was really nice is bitcoin's proof of work you know, it's it's significant now because in the beginning it was insignificant and in other words, it's like, um, it's too late to catch now. So it crossed that inflection point. And if you wanted to go and compete with Bitcoin and try and buy up all the mining equipment, you know, you would basically chase it asymptotically to infinity. So it's, it's sort of like the cat's out of the bag and we can't chase it because we gave it the opportunity in the first place. And that was just purely due to everyone's dismissal of it as a phenomenon. Now, Bitcoin got that because it was lucky and it's already taken off. You know, do you think, how do you think um, Decred uh, acts in that sort of environment in the sense that, you know, there's all eyes on it now. So, you know, is there an opportunity to potentially, is it, is it has it crossed the, the point of, um, too hard to shut down or do you think it's still in the early stages? Where, where do you think it is? Um, I think in, 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 in one or two more bull markets, it, it'll be there. One or two. Okay, cool. And all right. So now, now I'm going to tie the pieces together. So in other words, because we're going to have multiple bull markets and this broader concept of cryptos, you know, out of the bag, there is going to be more capital coming in, in total. And as a result, some things that are going to get extra capital on the side, whilst, you know, Bitcoin is probably going to, you know, assume the lion's share of it. They're by definition going to increase the network value and cross that threshold of no return because of, you know, the speculative fervor that's going to come across the next cycles. Correct. Yes. But uh, I, I like to invest in things I genuinely believe in fundamentally for the long term, actually. And so, even though we're, of course, I'm speculating, I think Decred will become a Bitcoin hedge. Okay. Um, anything else other than Bitcoin and Decred? No. no not even Monero? Uh, no, it's, 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 it's overhyped. Yep. Okay. It, privacy is not enough to compete. Okay, cool. Interesting. So and I, I don't actually, I don't believe, I don't believe chains should be fully private. I believe um, credibility of monetary policy is more important than complete privacy. And you want, um, you want the money supply to be always at all times fully verifiable. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the number one driver of the entire value of the e-systems. Yeah. 
Yep. And also both base layers and lightning layers are going to be increasingly private as well. Yep. And also if you essentially sit down on a table and write the top 20 aspects or criteria that make the store of value. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure. Monero or Zcash or whatever, they might be superior to Bitcoin in one of them, which is yep. privacy slash fungibility. But Bitcoin is just so far ahead in the other 19 that um, it's not enough. Like Bitcoin plus privacy is not enough to beat Bitcoin. Like that will never happen. Yep. These engineers, they don't understand that how important monetary liquidity is, yep. how important these sort of more financial monetary dynamics are. It's just going to be an uphill battle. Um, it, 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 it's not enough. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not bullish. Interesting. Um, I... I Look, here's the thing, like on-chain privacy, on-chain throughput, and on-chain programmability, they're decoys. They're decoys to scam people and to make money. They're not the value drivers. Value drivers are security assurances, guarantees, and low inflation. That's the true value drivers. Very nicely put. I actually want to put that in the, um, in the show notes later. Is Yes. My, my thoughts on the, um, on the privacy thing is... I think if you if you bake it in um, where Monero is trying to bake bake it in um, is you'll end up with a problem that broadly it it won't be the financial network upon which everything's built because it's prioritizing the wrong piece like you just said it's not prioritizing you know the security and the um, the, the visibility of the monetary policy versus. Um, trying to run the privacy. But in saying that, I, I would posit that there is going to be a bunch of um, applications where, you know, again, maybe, 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 maybe Monero and Ethereum can work together is that Ethereum can be the place where you build the, um, the network where terrorists can hire people and you can pay them in Monero so that no one can follow through <laughs> and find out where the money came from. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at it, so here's the thing, like, like if if Monero and Zcash, if they don't become, um, if they don't get a monetary premium and if they don't become store values in their own right, they just risk becoming glorified mixers to put money in, launder money and get, and get money out back into Bitcoin. You know what I mean? And so, um, even if you look at dark markets today, like people use Bitcoin like four times as much as they use Monero or whatever, or even more. Yeah. Which shows to me that liquidity is more important than privacy. That's such a good point. It, it, it also could be that people using dark markets, you know, uh, probably a large proportion of them don't fucking understand and they probably still think that Bitcoin's private and they're wondering why the feds are knocking on their door after they... <laughs> well, totally. Like, second and third world countries probably can't even track this tech anyway, even if it's yeah. transparent for now. Interesting. All right. Um Non-fungible tokens and collectibles. What's your thoughts around that? And not not specifically uh, Ethereum, but broadly. I think they might become a thing, but I'm personally I'm unexcited. I'm not I'm not I'm I'm not ever going to buy something like that. Yep. Cool. 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 All right. Um, do you want to add anything to that? But or? there's probably but 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 I said the same about like video games. I'm not really a gamer, but there's people who like. I need you, we need to be self-aware and understand that not everyone in the world is like us. Yes. So uh, who knows? Maybe that's going to be a two trillion dollar market or all this digital art and stuff. But um, that's not like like that's not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I've you know 
I'm not a gamer personally. I'm not much of a collector. But yeah, if I if I look at Bitcoin and again, if we think about it at its very essence, it's effectively a collectible. And yes, the the the, the scarcity thesis suggests that if we can create digital objects that you know whether they're artwork or whether they're fucking tokens or games or whatever you know non-fungible objects um i i do actually think there's going to be you know some form of market there not that i'm going to personally be a participant but you know i mean i didn't predict snapchat um but guess what you know there's millions of users so it's it's just like you said it's one of those things you know if we have our own biases and i think there's enough money to be made in Bitcoin itself and to worry about that. But I, I think it will be a thing. That would be my guess. Um, although, like you, not a big area of interest for me. Um, I, like, I, like, I like like money com- competition and payment stuff. That's what I like. Yep. Um, the next thing that I've got on here is just a quick touch on market outlook. You know, just talking about this year, next year, the hardening, you know, what sort of the next cycle is going to look like. Dude, you're a legend with this sort of stuff. So I'll let you sort of talk to talk us through, you know, your what you're envisioning, you know, for this year and moving forward. No bull market until the middle of 2020. Sweet. There it is. <laughs> I reckon we can just leave it at that. Um, uh, no, my, I, so I'm starting a fund whose specialization is on chain analytics. Yep. So we study what's happening on the chain, like addresses, wallets, exchanges, miners, pools, volume, momentum, different kinds of like a thing, a bunch of things we invented that I can send you some material on, yep. but essentially it's not looking good right now. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, and I agree with you. I don't, I don't have the same level of tools or analysis or time because I'm busy building a fucking startup. But having been, I've been in markets since I, um, I was in uni actually, since I was 19 years old, so it's 12 years now. And I, I think people don't appreciate how long winters last and people think, and again, this is just a sign of people who've never been in markets, who've never traded, who've never been anywhere near any of this stuff for the first time in history have come to a casino called crypto and, um, and they think now that it's fallen, it's going to skyrocket back up. And that's just not how shit works. You know, the, the human psyche and collectively particularly takes time to forget something um, or it takes time for it to become numb. So even if I don't look at any of the tools or any of the stuff that you guys have developed, which substantiate this claim is I just think, People aren't bored of it yet. You know, the, the only time this is actually going to turn around is that when the when, when the washout, you know, completes, and and that takes time. It takes time for people to realize that hey, shit, I could have been doing something else. So fuck it, I'm just going to leave this for now, and I'm going to go do something else. Um, before you know, the price really hits the bottom. So what, what's what's your thoughts on that? Um, I think we'll bottom in the next three months. Okay. And do you think but, that's... Be but, but, but we'll have one year of flatness afterwards. Okay. Yep. Um, and that bottom in process, because so, that was going to be my next question, is this 
this flatness or this sideways movement, you know, again, I think that takes time because it takes time for, you know, stuff to accumulate again. Um, this bottoming process over the next three months, four months, five months, six months, call it whatever it's going to be. Um, do you think that's going to tumble? Like, so do you think that it's going to be sharp toward the end or what's, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, I think it's going to be quite sharp for maybe a bit less sharp than, um, 2015 because we are simply have more liquid markets now. But, um, yeah, we need to see that final capitulation, that high red volume, those wicks, and just sort of that fear and panic. Because I would argue it's a good thing because you can think of it as a form of cleansing and rebirth. And coins would obviously get transferred from the weak and the impatient and the short-termist to the long-term minded and, and the patient and the strong hands. And that's actually going to build a strong foundation for the next cycle because the people who buy at those levels aren't going to sell at those levels anymore. And uh, they would, they would restrict the supply between that level and sort of a a far away from there, which is essentially healthy for Bitcoin's price. Exactly. Each time that the, I like to call it like a thermostat, the thermostat rises during each cycle and you know we might come back to the thermostat, but it's it's at a higher market than it was before. Um, so right, right. Perfectly agree. So in this next cycle, who do you think is the next adopter? So you know there's you know some people think that you know oh, it's going to be the retail market. Some people say it's the early majority. Some people say it's the institution. Some people say who, who in your mind? What what does the next cohort look more like? Um. It- institutions and high net worth individuals okay okay and what do you think is going to be the method through which they um they start to acquire this stuff do you think it's going to be they're going to go to the fidelity of the world and do that or they're going to jump on finance and um you know buy some btc what, what do you think they're doing uh definitely more of the former than the latter uh otc and custodians and the, some of the financial products that will come out. Yeah. What's your thoughts about? Yeah, there's that? a joke. There's there's a joke among my friends that that goes something like, uh, "The Yale endowment isn't going to be bidding up your shitcoin on Binance." Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yes. Yes. So true. Um, yeah. Look, I I tend to agree with you. I, um, my I was on a podcast again the other week talking about, you know, cohorts that are coming in. I I also think that over when the, when the next cycle starts to uh, run away again, um, I think we're going to start to see, you know, broader retail market in the form of a a early majority start to get involved. You know, and I think that's going to sort of be a area, Um, but you know, that that's not going to, that's not going to be happening for another you know, 12, 18 months that, that usually comes when the, when the train starts to really take off, um, which, you know, again is, um, I mean, that, that that's going to be a huge marketplace. And I think that's going to help with the broader overall perception of Bitcoin. But, you know, at the end of the day, the, the major capital that's going to be stored on the network is going to come from, like you said, the high net worth, et cetera, et cetera, which is where, I mean, that, when somebody hears that a major university, for example, has, you know, bought up some Bitcoin, that in itself 
is going to add layers of trust and is going to help bring more capital into the system. And that's the recursive effect that, um, you know, larger institutions and larger players have, as opposed to if you heard that your friend around the corner bought some Bitcoin, that's not going to really, you know, give you any reason to trust it and put your own capital into it. So I think, you know, the, the importance of the sophisticated cohort coming in is underestimated, I think, by the general populace. And I think it's something that, you know, you're one of the rare people actually talk about it and say it as it is. Um, right. Yep. So, yeah, I, I think that's definitely an important area. So is there anything else you want to add to the outlook, you know, and the cycles and, you know, anything like that? Yeah, we, we, we need more chain usage. We need more people um, coming into sort of, for investment purposes, mm -hmm. we need uh, for the price to ideally for the price to go a little bit lower and for the on-chain volume to go a little bit higher, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we need essentially we need people to think that Bitcoin is dead yes. or Bitcoin is dying. Um, we want the ownership of this asset to be owned by people who are committed forever essentially yep. and the people who are here for extremely short-term issues we actually want them gone and i think you will see that happen um i might be wrong but i i, I lean 70 percent that capitulation is still to come and i think it's going to come this spring this okay spring on which side of the world your side right yeah the i think april April, May, or June. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Um, do, do, do you have any ideas? Do, do you, would you like to speculate on what the trigger might be? Um, or you don't care to make such guesses? So I actually don't believe in triggers. Yep. Um, I think that oh, yeah. people uh, like to, people like to assign narratives to yeah. things. Yeah, but really, I think it's things like time, yep. things like price exhaustion, yep. things like attention exhaustion, yep. and simply the continuation of the trend. Yep. Um, like I like people like to say, bull markets end, not because of some kind of news, but yep. bull markets end when there's no more buyers. Yes. Similarly, bear markets end when there's no more sellers. Yeah. So what we need is for the sellers to go away. And that's far more important than any one piece of news. Frankly, I don't think any news in particular is going to suddenly reverse this market at the moment. Yeah, very nicely put. Uh, I, I think um, the, the time and the attention thing, here's that time concept coming up again, right? But yeah, like I said, the oh. attention is people just need to get bored with it or sick of it or think that there's um, more opportunity elsewhere. Um, and it's those guys by their very nature of going up who don't believe it or get it that are going to leave. But as a, you know, what, what we've done through this cycle is that the number of true believers has in, has grown and the next cycle is going to do the same thing. The next cycle is going to do the same thing. And it's just, I mean, it's so much like nature, right? It's just cycles happen. You have an over, um, exacerbation, you have a cleansing, you have an over um, doing, you have a cleansing and, and things just move in those cycles. Everything functions like that. 
Um, last, last things I wanted to touch on is um, we spoke a little bit earlier about, so this is a non-Bitcoin topics, but we spoke a little bit earlier about, you know, socialist and, you know, versus capitalist and, you know, how the incentives are malaligned in that, in a socialist sort of infrastructure, because what you're doing is you're, and I, and I think this, this is a, this is an important point for people to realize is just because you don't incentivize something doesn't mean you're not disincentivizing something out the back end. So for example, you know, one of the issues I have with, you know, equality of, uh, outcome, for example, is you might not be necessarily, um, you know, you might be trying in your naive sort of frame of mind to make it better for everybody. But in the process of making it better for everybody, like you said, the janitor versus the nuclear physicist, what you're doing is you're actually disincentivizing the nuclear physicist. You're, you're, you're putting a burden on them and you're discounting them um, by trying to even out um, this concept of, you know, equality of outcome. So, you know, did, did you want to elaborate any further around what we were talking about, you know, earlier? Well, yeah, first of all, I totally agree. Like if you make it easy for them, like people grow through the struggle as cold as it sounds, you know yep. what I mean? So you need to, you need, in order to grow, you need to overcome. Yep. That's fundamentally. But I would even push your argument to even another level to say that, honestly, I, I don't believe in equality, period. Absolutely. I don't think, I don't think people are equal in any way at all. And, um, I actually think that inequality is a natural fabric of reality. Um, and I actually think it's, it's even desirable because nature wants the best men and the best women to reproduce and to create the next superior generation of, of human, the human genome. Nature requires differentiation, not, fucking equality totally. yeah exactly but totally totally and and no the, the nature wants us to compete yeah. so that and, and and i'm not talking literally dying but metaphorically yeah. uh, dying in terms of competition they want the strong to survive and then to weak to be to be weeded out and that cycle to continue again and again and again yeah. uh, i think that actually inequality and competition they drive growth correct and, and, and they're completely they're completely acceptable Absolutely. I actually think the beauty of Bitcoin is that it magnifies. Well, it gives the 99% a money that allows them to preserve the fruits of their labor over time and makes the Cantillon effects manufactured by the financial elite among the 1% obsolete. But it also gives the 1% an asset that is completely inaccessible to the seizure by a potential populist uprising of the 99%. And to me, this is monetary freedom and monetary justice, and it goes both ways, and it's a fair win-win. And I think it will be demanded by both the rich and the poor alike. Oh, man, that is so fucking good. Um, you know what? That is, the light, that is the light bulb moment for me today, is that it's so true. On both sides of the equation, it, it solves an incredible problem for both sides. Because, yeah, that's like, yeah, wow. 
you, you saw, I'm assuming you obviously saw the stupid thing that's going around now in America. It's about, you know, oh, let's take the money from the billionaires or whatever it is. Like some. Well, you know. I, I actually, I, uh, as a Bitcoin hodler, I kind of want to want to vote for that so that people just buy Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> I want them to succeed. I want them to succeed so that they collapse the system. Yep. 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 Yeah. Oh man, now that that is such a such a true point because, um, yeah, I hope that it's, I hope that sinks it, in. It's inescapable. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, we are we're we're like fifteen years early. Yeah, we are exactly. We're gonna have to butt our heads against the wall for fifteen years. But it's gonna be exciting. We are going to have a. Um, we're, we're, we're going to have an exciting youth and an exciting life. We will, man. It's, um, yeah, look, uh, like we were saying before is, you know, Bitcoin is not only, you know, some form of new money, but it's this entirely, it's a beautiful representation, um, in, you know, digital form in this, of, of how nature has functioned and evolved over time. And it's now giving us an opportunity to do some really cool shit and reinvent maybe not reinvent society, but I think take the elements that function and bring them into um, a part of the world that is, you know, really only developed over the last 20, 30 years, which is this, you know, digital software is eating the world type thing is, you know, in that world, you know, the, the, the laws of physics haven't functioned very well in that world. And Bitcoin, bridges the real world and the ephemeral digital world and bring some of those laws of physics into it um you know for it for it to function um better so anyway that, that's another another tangent but yeah the I, I love your point about you know inequality being absolutely fundamentally important to humanity to society and to everything that we hold dear because it's it's necessary it's 100 percent necessary and required and i i always have this um battle with people again you know when people say oh you know I, i've always said this since i was younger is i believe in fairness i have no fucking time for equality because equality is a insult or a slap in the face to somebody trying to do more um, versus somebody who doesn't give a shit. Whereas fairness, in fact, I would say it's also fair for inequality to exist because it would be unfair for everything to be equal. So people need to take a fucking side here. They need to choose to either believe in what's fair and what's right or to believe in some veneer of an ideology that suggests that shit's equal in any way, shape or form. Well, the, be- the interesting thing is that Jordan Peterson even talks about this. He says that even if you had a government that made everybody get the exact same salary, mm-hmm. wear the exact same clothes, and even have the exact same looks and bodies, yep. people would still figure out some kind of a game to compete and to create hierarchies because we have a collective demand for inequality. 100%. 100%. I actually, Jordan was in um, Brisbane on the weekend, so I went and saw him. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was really good. Um, 
we we he finished on that whole premise about I mean Jordan's one of the most eloquent talkers when it comes to you know discussing hierarchies the importance of hierarchies and how absolutely ludicrous it is to think that we don't have hierarchies or that we don't have inequality as part of a functional system like if I mean the way I always say it is that if everything was equal nothing would actually exist you know if you want to go find equality go out into the depths of space somewhere where there's no fucking stars or galaxies or anything anywhere near in in the complete utter vacuum of space you have equality other than that nothing else is equal i'm sorry that's not how totally from a from a planetary level all the way down to cellular level that's just the way it is exactly exactly um sweet man dude is there um i think we'll wrap it up here because i'm gonna assume it's like four o'clock in the morning or getting close to five o'clock in the morning over there um, we could, we could talk for ages, but is there any other key things that you want to mention before we wrap this up? Um, no, man, just wanted to thank you for inviting me. This was a very nice and pleasant conversation. Understand, dude. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it it's, since the first time we had a quick chat on Twitter. Uh, I've been looking forward to us having, um, this conversation, you know, and I think, a, we need to definitely do it again. Um, but you know, is you know, I'll put I'll put your you know your Twitter stuff on um on on the show notes. We'll get it out. I'll send you the link so that way we can get it to everyone. I think this is a really important, broad episode. You know, for everyone listening here to go and share and to you know spread out to other people as well because I think it's um the concepts and notions that we discussed here are really really important. Um, is there, is there any, um, is there anything that you want to talk about with respect to the, the fund that you're raising? You know, is there anything, you know, is there any reason people to contact you about that or is that still something that you're working on? That's your thing. Yeah, we just actually started uh, fundraising this month. Okay. Um, you can reach me at info at adaptivecapital.co. And of course, if, if that's easier, if that's easier, you can always message me on Twitter. My DMs are open as well. Sweet. All right, my man. Again, thank you so much. Um, really enjoyed it, and we will do this again. You know, maybe maybe in six months or something. Perfect, man. Looking forward to it. Cheers, bro. See ya.